How's everybody doing this morning? First off, if you're first time here today, I just want to say thanks for coming. We are truly blessed to have you here, and, and we really appreciate seeing you. Anybody, anybody here ready for the word this morning? Let's go ahead and pray as we come to it. Father, we just thank you for your goodness and your great love. And Lord, we just thank you that, that uh, we have the opportunity to read your word and know what you want for our lives. We can know what your will is because you've written it down for us, Lord. You're still speaking to us today through your word. And this morning as we come to it, I pray that our hearts are ready to receive what you have for us and that it would accomplish inside of us what you intended to accomplish. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, this morning I've entitled the, entitled the message, How You See Them. And this is kind of a little bit of a play on perspective, because you might read this and go, what do you mean? How do I see who? Or maybe you're going from the other direction, you're like, I wonder what he's talking about. What is he talking about? Does God see somebody? But the truth is, I mean both. How does God see them? And how do you see them? And the them I'm referring to is the lost, those who don't know Jesus yet, the people that you see every single day on the streets. And I think we do need to ask ourselves, how do we see them? And I think it's important that we understand how God sees them as well. But here's the important bit. If how you see them is different than how God sees them, you need to change how you see them, amen? So something you guys may not know, but businesses in the last several years have begun to change how they view their customers and how they view people. They've begun to realize that they can't keep doing things the way that they've always been doing them. They have to, they've started to realize that they actually have to value their customers. They actually have to care what their customers think. They have to actually realize the only reason for their existence is their customers. That's why they're in business, is to serve their customers. And they have to make them a priority, because if they don't do that, businesses will fail. In today's day and age, if you don't value your customer, they'll go somewhere else. They have a lot of options. You're not the only place in town. And I think as a church, we need to look at the business world and go like, maybe they got something right. Because the truth is, is they figured out something in a lot of ways that we haven't figured out. That we need to start valuing people. We need to recognize that the church is not here to serve us. But we're here to serve in the church, to reach out to the lost, to those who don't know Jesus. Church on Sunday morning is not so you can come and be entertained. It's so you can come and be equipped to go out. And it's not just the pastor's or the evangelist's job to go out and reach people. It's actually all of your jobs to go out and talk to people. And we have to make reaching people a priority, both corporately as a church, but also individually in our lives. Now, most churches, part of their mission statement is to reach people, and that's one of their goals. But the truth is, is that the church corporately can't do it by itself. It actually falls to the people that are part of the church. Are you reaching out to people in your community, to people you work with, the people at the gas station line? Do you actually talk to them? And I think one of the reasons that we, we don't, if we want to change our behavior, is that we need to understand and recognize the real value of these people. We need to see them like Jesus did. We need to understand that when we're speaking to people that don't know Jesus, this isn't, you know, we're, we're not trying to just let them uh, have something to do on Sunday mornings other than sleep in. But we're talking about a life or death situation, and not just life or death in this, in this world, but this is their eternal life and death we're talking about. This is not a small thing that we're talking about. 
And the truth is, is that if we get this idea in our head, oh, I don't want to force my religion on anybody. I don't want to pressure anybody. What kind of a, a person are you? If you believe what you say you believe, if you really believe that if they don't come to know Jesus, that they're going to hell, that they're going to spend eternity without him, what kind of a person do you have to be to not share that with somebody else? If you really believe that, because otherwise you're going, you know what, I don't want to pressure them. If they go to hell, that's fine. They can do what they want. But the truth is, is that's not how Jesus, Jesus valued people. He cared about people. And I recognize it, that the truth is that evangelism and making the loss a priority is not always easy. Sometimes it's inconvenient. Sometimes it can feel embarrassing or we can feel ashamed But I think the first step to overcoming this is recognizing the value of the people that we're talking about. Getting over the idea, is it worth it? Are they worth it? And we have to know their value. It's a story of a guy who was standing at the urinal and $5 fell out of his pocket right under the urinal. And this guy saw that happen. He's like, well, what are you going to do now? So the guy reached in his wallet, he pulled out a 50, and he threw that in the urinal. And he says, what did you do that for? And he's like, well, I'm not reaching my hand in there for $5. <laughs> you see, when you understand, <laughs> you understand the value of something, it might cause you to, to overcome some obstacles in your life. See, if we understood the value of the people that we saw every day in the streets, the hurting, the lost, the broken, the misunderstood, the downtrodden, and the un even the unsavory types... You see, it's easy to talk to people who are lovely, but it's harder to talk to people that seem unlovable. But Jesus didn't play favorites, and we're going to see that today. And I think if we really understood their value, if we really saw them how God saw them, then we'd be willing to overcome those minor obstacles in our own lives to talk to people. We'd be, do, we'd be willing to do whatever it took to make sure that they got to spend eternity with Jesus. Amen? Let's look at Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 2. It says, now the tax collectors and sinners, anybody laugh when you read that? Like tax collectors are so bad, they can't even be included with the sinners. They're their own separate category. <laughs> like a tax collector back then was rough. It says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So we're going to be looking at the story told in Luke chapter 15 today. And then this is where it begins, right? The Pharisees, the religious people of the time, they're all upset and offended that Jesus was taking an interest in sinners and gasp, tax collectors. And Jesus hears about this grumbling and throughout the rest of the chapter, he's going to use parables to try to deal with how these people are behaving. And we're going to look at the parable of the lost sheep today and the lost coin, and then the, and we're going to end with a parable of the, of the prodigal son. But the first thing you're going to notice is that by meeting with these people, Jesus is encouraging, and through his parables, he's encouraging the sinners and the tax collectors. He wants them to know that they are valuable, and it's actually a big deal for them to come home. He wants them to know that he cares about them, and he wants nothing more than for them to come home, to know him. And they may not be perfect in and of themselves. The truth is, these are, these are the worst of the worst, right? The sinners and the tax collectors. They, they, these are people that aren't liked. They're doing awful things. But Jesus cares about them. He still met with them. 
These people, they're, they're not following all the Jewish laws. Some of them, I don't even know them. They don't really care about them. But God, even though these are our people that are the unsavory types, the people that, that, that all the religious people didn't like, they didn't think they were worthy, God still cared about them. God still loved them. Jesus had a very different view of those the rest of the world around him considered unsavory. He didn't shy away from them. He didn't see them and quickly look away. You know, he, he, didn't, he wasn't in his car coming up to the stoplight and look, over, look away real quick so you don't see the guy on the side of the road asking for money. He, didn't, he, he showed them love. He would meet their gaze. He would let them know that he cared, but he would actually go and visit with them and talk to them. And never for one minute in doing this did he give approval of their actions. Jesus never approved sin, but he still met with the sinner. Many times he told people, go and sin no more, but he never let their sin keep them from him. And the same should be true for us. We should never let somebody else's sin keep us from loving them and sharing the gospel with them and encourage them, them to repent of that sin. We never approve of the sin, but we can still meet them where they're at because they need Jesus. You guys know why they call us Christians? We're little Christ. Christians means little Christ. That's what it should be. How come none of us look like him most of the time? We're supposed to. How can we take on that name if we're not actually going to imitate him? And in Matthew 9, 9.13, it says, Jesus passed on from there and he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. He's one of them tax collectors that nobody likes. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, you know something that's interesting here? It says he was reclining with the sinners and tax collectors. That didn't just mean that he, he saw them on the side of the road and, and, and said hi and tipped his hat, but he actually invited them in to, to eat with him, to spend time with him. But it says they were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician but those who are sick. Go and learn what it means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. It's actually interesting to me that Jesus called a tax collector to be one of his disciples, to follow him. Can you imagine how much this got under the skin of the religious folks back then? You know, it's... It's like today, the people that get upset that, you know, someone might be a pastor or preaching and they never went to seminary, they didn't go to school and they didn't follow the right people. It gets under people's skin, which you mean you took some gangbanger and yet you reached him with the gospel and now he's pastoring a church and people get all offended at that stuff. You're in the wrong place for that. We come from Praise, we're part of Praise Chapel and probably half the churches are the pastors wrecked gangbangers. But this really had to get under the sin of the religious folks. They, 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 they were upset. Well, how could you call some tax collector to follow you to be your disciple? But the truth is, is that some of the greatest men in the Bible had troubled pasts. Joseph was a prisoner and a slave. David and Moses were both murderers. We have a guy with Praise Chapel named Billy Hall. 
And he was convicted of murder, got saved. And he ended up getting released by the grace of God. And now he is a, a, a missionary, in, and I think he's in Ethiopia right now. Right, Pastor Joseph? And, and he's making great strides for the kingdom of God in Ethiopia. Pastor Kelly Loki, Lorky, Loki uh, he's in uh, Kansas City right now, I believe, right? Um, and he, uh, uh, he, he grew up as a punk rocker. rocker. And all the, the past, you know, all the, all the stereotypes that go with that, he lived it. And now he's a pastor of a, of, a, of, a, of a massive church. And he's doing just amazing things for the kingdom of God. And I know this is going to shock you guys. I want you to brace yourself. But I wasn't always a pastor. Truth is, I think every single one of you probably have storied pasts. You know, if, if it was up to, to who we were before Jesus found us, none of us would be, would be qualified. That's why they say Jesus qualifies the unqualified. Thing is, is we've all had storied past, but Jesus now reclines with us. Someone at some point in your life saw through the bad and recognized your value and told you about Jesus. You know, one of the things that, that always encourages me to keep uh, sharing the gospel with people, even if they reject me, is I look at my life and think about how many times people have shared it with me and I rejected it. But somebody, finally someone came and said it to me again. Third, fourth, fifth, probably hundredth time I heard it, and finally something clicked. But it's because people recognize my value, not my value in and of myself, but my value because God loved me. God calls me valuable. And they saw that and they they, they kept pressing on, even though they saw my life and said, man, he's, he's not a very godly person. And they, they kept pressing on, and finally something clicked, and I said yes. And the same is probably true in your life. Somebody finally just kept asking. Somebody knew, maybe it's the same person over, and finally something clicked, and you said yes, because they saw that you had value. And after Jesus grabs Matthew, he goes and he, hears, he shares a meal with the tax collectors and all the sinners. And this is really adding insult to energy, because not only <laughs> insult to energy, insult <laughs> to injury. And the, the thing is, is he just called a tax collector to follow him, and now he's going to go meet with another bunch of tax collectors and sinners. You ever wondered why that happened? Probably because Matthew's like, hey, you're awesome. Come meet some of my friends. And Jesus came and visited with him, and now he's reaching out to the tax collectors and the sinners. His answer is a beacon of hope to those who are hurt, who are lost, who aren't doing the right thing. He is there for them. And here's the thing is he says that, look, that those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Why wasn't Jesus meeting with the Pharisees? Well, because they, had, they thought they had it all figured out. They didn't need a Savior. But these folks did. They needed a Savior. They were the ones who were sick. They needed Jesus. So Jesus goes with Matt back to this group of sinners and tax collectors, and, and he begins to minister to them. And he doesn't just leave them with that. He comes to call sinners to repentance. And that is key. You know, if you're a sinner, you need to repent. If you're a Christian and you're sinning, you need to repent. His purpose was to come make righteous those who could not do it themselves. Newsflash, that's all of us. See, the Pharisees, they thought they could do it themselves. They didn't need Jesus. So he went to talk to the people who recognized they couldn't. But what this means is that even the worst of us 
are valuable to Jesus. Not just the good people who do good. Not just the people that seem to do nice things or give a lot of money or, or do all the right things. It's, it does, that, that doesn't determine your value. And you can tell when Jesus spoke to people, there was no one that was so bad or so much a sinner that Jesus turned away. You'll never notice once in the gospel when somebody came to Jesus, he said, you know what? You need to, to, to come back next week. Let's try to work on some things in your life. Maybe if you just get good enough and you'll come. That's why it always drives me crazy when people don't want to, you know, man, I'm just, if I, if I stepped into the church, I would, it would just catch on fire. I'm so bad. Listen, we're not waiting for you to get good to come into the church. We want you to come in so we can introduce you to Jesus because then a supernatural thing happens when you put your trust in him. You're made brand new. But there was no one that was so bad Jesus wouldn't turn to. So let's imitate Jesus. You're going to notice that theme today. Let's imitate Jesus. In Luke 13, 6-9, it says, And he told this parable, A man has a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it, and he found none. And he said to the vine dresser, Look, for three years now I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, Sir, let it alone this year also, until I dig around it and put on manure. Then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. I think this is talking about those that just won't have it. You ever spoke to somebody trying to share the gospel and they don't want anything to do with it? They want nothing to do with Jesus? The truth is, we're going to meet people like this. They might be friends or family. You might have family members you've been praying for for years. I think the point of this is that we're not supposed to give up. And this story the vine dresser argues for more time for this fig tree it's not producing fruit it's a you know this is the equivalent of a tax collector or a sinner and it's not producing fruit and, and the 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 the, the uh, caretaker is ready to just give up on the on the uh, uh, the the tree and, and the vine dresser says no let's give it more time let's don't just throw in the towel right now let's not give up and even though for three years he's been investing in this tree, every year he's investing in the tree, he's prepping it, doing everything he can for it, and nothing comes over three years. He says, you know what? Give me one more year. And we, I think we need to, to have that same mentality with people, even if we, because that's the thing, is we can get discouraged so easy when we share and, 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 and nobody responds or they reject us, because for some reason we feel like that when they reject Jesus, they're rejecting us. But they're not really rejecting us, they're re rejecting him. But we take offense, like it's somehow, somehow uh, uh, us that they're, they're sliding. When they reject you, they're, they're rejecting him. But even if it seems like there's no hope, we mustn't give up on people. I look at my life, like I told you, for years people ministered to me. What if people gave up on me? I think about that. What if they gave up on me? I'd probably be in prison or dead. But they didn't. Now I also realize the Bible says don't cast your pearls before swine, right? If you're preaching the gospel and someone starts cussing you out, <laughs> it might be a good time to practice wisdom and duck out for a bit. But that doesn't mean that they're a lost cause. It doesn't mean that they're no longer valued. Take a page from the vine dresser's book. See, for the last three years, this wine dresser has been watering the tree. He's been putting down fertilizer. He's doing everything. He's ensured that it's getting enough sunlight. 
But he doesn't stop there because he, he, he goes the extra mile, like I said, putting fertilizer down. He does everything that he can. We need to make sure that we're going the extra mile. That person that, that doesn't want anything to do with it right now, just pray for them. Pray that somebody else can get through. And let's go the extra mile ourselves. Make sure that we're praying for these people. We're making sure that, that Christ's love in us is directed towards them. Let them see the love of Christ. If they start being offensive to you, it's not the time to be offensive back. Otherwise, you've just hurt the cause. Man, and I certainly never want to be the reason that somebody rejects Christ personally because of something I did. I think we'll have to answer for those kind of things. And Luke 19, verses 5 through 10, it says, When Jesus came to the place, he looked up to him and said, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when he saw it, they all grumbled, He has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he is also a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Never underestimate the impact that you can have on somebody if you'll just show them that they're actually valuable. And show them that they're valuable to God. We have Zacchaeus here. You know what Zacchaeus' names mean? Names mean? Name means? It means righteous one. He's a tax collector. See, the reason why that nobody liked tax collectors is, is, is not because that they were collecting taxes. The problem was is that these were Jewish men who would take on the role of tax collector for the Roman government. And the way that they got paid is they collected a little bit extra. They were basically stealing from their own people. The more they collected, the more that they could skim off the top, the more money that they had. He was working for the Gentiles to essentially steal. I mean, he was, as far as they were concerned, he was a traitor, stealing from them. Zacchaeus was definitely not living up to his name, being the righteous one. But it's interesting is that Jesus still seeks him out. He's not doing the right things. He's sinning like crazy. He's being awful to his own people. And Jesus still sees, seeks him out. Jesus still sees value in this man. Because here's the thing. The value of a person is never determined by their actions. The value of a person is always determined by who they are, not what they do. And who they are is somebody that God loves. Someone that that was made in the image of God. Who they are is somebody that, that Jesus gave his life for. Has anybody, how many people here own a home? Have you noticed your property values have been going up lately? Your home values have been going up? You want to know why that is? It's because somebody paid a lot of money for your neighbor's house. You want to know how the value of a home is determined? It's what somebody's willing to pay for it. You see, what happened was is that the, the volumes of the homes were set, and then people from California with a lot of money, because here's the values of their homes over there. And I'm not, you're, you're laughing, but this is the truth. Over there, a home costs, what, two, three times, four times as much as it does here. They sell their house at market value. So now they're sitting on a boatload of cash. They come over to, to, to Arizona, go, and they go, man, it is super cheap here. 
And we have people here that are trying to get a loan for whatever the house is worth, and they're like, I don't have to get a loan. I got cash. And just to make sure I get it, I'm going to offer above and beyond what they're asking for. And the reason is, is because to me, even if I pay twice what the house is on the market for, it's still cheap because I just sold my house that was worth five times as much. So it's still cheap to them. They think they're getting a good deal compared to what they would normally pay. But then when that house sells for that much, all the rest of the houses in the neighborhood go up in value. Because a home's value is not determined by the materials in it. Even new builders, when they build a new house, they can't price the home based on the materials. Sometimes they lose money, sometimes they make a lot of money because the, the, the home value is based on what houses around itself or what people are willing to pay for them. I think people are valued like that too, what somebody was willing to pay for them. And Jesus was willing to give his life for every single person on this earth. That's what their value is. He was willing to give up everything. The truth is, is they're invaluable. They, they are, are uh, what's, what's that word when something can't be uh, 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 priced? Priceless, there's another word for it too. I don't know what it is. They're priceless. <laughs> Somebody get me a thesaurus. Hallelujah. The truth is, is that, that they're priceless. Jesus paid everything for them. That's what they're worth. And this guy, Revelation 3.20 says this, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. This was literally fulfilled in Zacchaeus' life. He was at the door knocking, and Jesus said, Come down, I'm having dinner with you. And because of his encounter with Jesus, Zacchaeus' life changes in a radical way. He was a changed man. Now, one of the things that you'll notice about this, he says, look, Lord, half of the goods I give to the poor because he's a changed man. Now he doesn't care about stuff. He cares about people. And then also he says, if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And as a tax collector, like we just talked about, he had defrauded people of something. And what's interesting about this fourfold number is, is this. Under Mosaic law, if a thief voluntarily confessed to a crime, he had to restore what he took and add one-fifth to it and then bring a trespass offering to the Lord. You can read about that in Leviticus 6, chapter 1 through 7. If he stole something that he couldn't restore, he had to repay fourfold, Exodus 22, 1. Or if he was caught with the goods, he still had them, he had to repay double, and that's Exodus 22, 4. Now you'll notice that Zacchaeus isn't quabbling with terms. He says, you know what? I I, I'm a changed man. Jesus, you touched my heart. I'm not who I used to be. I'm going to give half my money to the poor. And then as for anybody that I've defrauded, anybody I have stolen from, I'm going to repay the highest penalty that's required under the law. He didn't quibble over the terms. He offered to pay the full amount because his life had truly been changed. Never underestimate the impact you could have by showing somebody value, that you care about them, and truthfully, that, that by what you're expressing God's love through you towards them so that they can understand that God loves them. People are valuable, and you can change lives just by sharing, just by expressing the very same thing that was expressed to you, expressing it to somebody else. You can make an impact. In Luke 15, 3-7, it says, So he told them this parable. 
What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulder, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more, rejoice, more joy in heaven for one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. So remember how this story started, right? We started in the very beginning of uh, Luke chapter 15. And, and uh, this parable right now, Jesus is starting to tell because the Pharisees and, the, and the, the, the scribes were beginning to grumble over the company that he was keeping, right? He was meeting with sinners and tax collectors. And I love how Jesus is always practical. Matter of fact, it's actually why I love the Bible uh, in general. Like it really is practical and it's really easy to understand. The gospel is not complicated. It's not shrouded in, mis- in, in mystery, and it's not, uh, you know, it's not this huge list of complicated steps that you have to do if you want to become a Christian. It's very simple to understand the gospel. It's very un- simple, I believe, to understand God's will. If you've been here a while, you've heard me say it. I, I really don't like the, the phrase that God works in mysterious ways because I think that's silly. God has made his will known in his Son. It's very clear what God's will is. But I love that Jesus is always practical, and this is a story that, that we can all understand even if we don't have sheep. Nobody has sheep anymore, but I still think we can get it. It's not a difficult story to follow. And this is a story basically expressing God's love for us. First, we see that even though there are many others, there's 100 sheep, right? Each and every one is extremely important. You know, God's never looking out across the world and he's like, man, look at all these people. I love them. Man, this guy, he just won't say yes. Oh, well, I got plenty of others. God's never like that. God is always after the one. That song we sang today, that he's willing to leave the one or leave the 99 for the one. He's going after us. When you get saved, when you got saved, and I mean this, take this personally, when you got saved, there was rejoicing in heaven. That blows me away. I know who I was before I got saved. I thought I'd be the only one rejoicing that something changed. God loves men so much, and every single one of them is important. And he rejoices for every single one, and every single one of them is worth leaving to spend to leave everything aside to go hunting for them. Every single one. We need to make sure that we're looking at people the same way that God looks at people, amen? And then he has another parable in chapter 15, verses 8 through 10. He says, Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So maybe you can't relate to the last story. You don't get the whole sheep thing. We all get money. He starts with the sheep. It's it's, it's pretty simple. It should be simple to understand. But he says, You know what? If you don't get this, let me talk to you about money. And you know what? Sinners, tax collectors, Pharisees, we all get money. We all get how this understands. So let me toss you another easy story. 
And I can really relate to this one because I've lost money. If anybody ever lost money, well, we tear this stuff, we tear the place up looking for that stuff. It don't even have to be a lot. And we're tearing it up, look, tearing the place up looking for it. And we look all over for it. And, and uh, it doesn't mean that we don't have other money. Like I've lost money before, but I still have other money. But this money is important to me. And once I get it back, if I lose the other money, now that money is important to me. I'm going to look for it. And then when we find it, we rejoice. Anybody ever put on a pair of pants that you had hanging in the closet, you hadn't had them for a while, or you put on a jacket and you reach in and you find a $20 bill? It's like your birthday. I see this all the time in my house, not with money, but my wife hides food all over the place. <laughs> because me and Blake, Blake just moved out uh, not too long ago, but we like food. And uh, we have like a third sense that uh, we can feel it calling to us. Matter of fact, when Blake was a young, was a young kid, he was uh, just a few years old, he wanted some, uh, uh, was it cookies? He wanted some cookies, and, and uh, we had left him at home for just a few minutes to run the store, and he calls, and he says, Mom, can I have some of those cookies? She says, no, you can't have none of those cookies. He calls back five minutes later, Mom, the cookies are mocking me. <laughs> Oh, is he seven or eight years old? Oh, is he, yeah, he's young. They're mocking him. So what she does is she hides food from us if she wants to keep it for later. The problem is she forgets about it. We got stuff all over. She, just the other day, she comes to me like, I got so excited. She found some food that she had like a year ago. No, it is true. She finds stuff that like so old she can't even eat it anymore. So then me and Blake are like, why do you always hide this stuff? It's not like, did you eat it? It's like, well, I never know when I might want it. <laughs> Problem is, you never remember that you have it. So you, who knows if you might want it? Nobody ate it. <laughs> <laughs> but she finds it and she gets all excited. She found something that she had saved. The same thing happens in sinner, in heaven when one sinner repents. There's rejoicing. Angels rejoice over every single sinner that repents. Don't you think we should have the same care? And if we continue on in Luke 15, 17 through 24, it says, but when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. This is the, towards the latter part of the, the prodigal son parable. And verse 18 says, I will rise and go to my father. I will say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and before you but I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put it right on his hand and his shoes on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. Jesus <laughs> these are parables back after back. It's like, listen, if you don't get the first one, let me give you the second easy one. If you don't get the second easy one, let me give you one more story so you get it through your thick skulls. 
really, I don't think he was doing this for the first. He was doing it for me. He knew that 2,000-something years later, I'd have a thick skull that he needed to get something through. So that's what he did. So it was probably my fault, but you guys get the extra story, so you're welcome. <laughs> so Jesus like, listen, if you still don't get it, I got another story for you. And we now have this son who's pretty much acting like a selfish jerk. He takes his money and he runs. I don't know if you guys know how inheritance are supposed to work, but it's usually after the person that has it dies. But this guy's like, you know what? I'm cashing out early. Takes all the stuff and he runs. And surprise, surprise, he loses everything. But it doesn't end there. Thank God it doesn't end there. He finally recognizes his mistake. He's like, you know what? I'm a little more humble now. I took everything. I lost everything. But I get it. He's a little more humble. And he says, listen, I don't deserve anything from my father. Everything I already took from him, I've destroyed. So I don't deserve anything more from him. And it's actually pretty amazing because he recognizes that he's not owed anything. Because let's face it, dude was a butthead. But the reaction of his father when he comes home is not what's expected, right? He, he didn't expect anything from his father. He said, listen, at least I can go home and work with the slaves. At least they get fed and have a place to stay. I'll, I'll do that. I don't want to be elevated. I, I don't, he doesn't owe me anything. I'll just go do that. But he goes home, and the response from his father is completely unexpected. Now, when we read this stuff in today's day and age, some of this stuff doesn't stand out to us. But one of the things that's actually pretty amazing is this part right here. Says when his father saw him and he felt compassion and he ran and embraced him and kissed him. In those days and age, it was undignified for a man to go running towards somebody. The fact that his man that his father dropped everything and ran to him and showed that kind of affection and that it was just you to really understand this guy doesn't care about anything. He just wants his son back. He doesn't care about his dignity or any kind of pride or what people are going to think about him. In this day and age, a man didn't run. And he when he ran to his son. You see, the son believed that he had no more value. But the father valued him more than he could ever imagine. So he runs to him, he kisses him, he embraces him. He tells his servants to bring out all the best stuff and give it to his son because the son that he had who was dead is now alive again. Get out the fattened calf. We are going to celebrate because he has come home. He valued him so much, even though he squandered all of his inheritance away, even though he rejected the wisdom of his father and took off to be selfish, he was still loved. And even from the outside looking in, we're like, that kid doesn't deserve any of this. But he's shown honor and love because the father values him that much. Now, I don't know if you recognize this, but the Father in this parable, it represents God in us. Every single one of us have acted like this before. But God is the Father in this story. God is the one that casts off restraints and runs to each and every one of us who say yes to Him. And it doesn't just include the people in this room. It's everybody out there that still haven't said yes. He's waiting for them to come. And it's our job to share with them they have a father who loves them. Amen? And he continues on in verse 25 to 32. It says, 
And the father, and uh, sorry, it says, and now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing, and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. Yet he was hungry and refused to go in, and his father came out and entreated him. But he answered his father, Look, these many years I have served you, and I have never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when, his son of yours came, when the son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, and killed the fat, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. The story of the prodigal son could have ended with the rejoicing and the acceptance of the other son, but I think Jesus really wanted the scribes and the Pharisees to grab a hold of this. He wanted to nip some uh, misunderstanding and whining in the bud, if you will. He wanted to, to get ahead of it before it came out. And in this story, the brother is the religious people. You and I need to make sure that we don't fall into that camp because it can be really easy to see what God is doing in somebody else's life and feel like we're slighted, feel like we're, 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 we're not being loved as much as them. You see, it's very easy for these religious people to get jealous when they recognize that God values somebody other than them. The, the Jewish people, they were God's chosen people, and now, the, now they're beginning to, 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 to see people that are, that are not living as Jews, as sinners, the tax collectors. And then if we go further down the road, we begin to see that, that God's salvation is extended to the Gentiles, and then they're still getting upset then. They're, they're not understanding. And they're getting jealous. And they're really frustrated because all these people that God is reaching out to and touching, they seem less valuable than them. Wait a minute, we're God's chosen people. These people don't even love you. They're sinners, they're tax collectors, they rejected you. They're the worst of the worst, and they get upset. It's also very easy for them to start thinking that maybe God loved these people more than he loved them. So Jesus is making it clear as one, don't get set over them because you already have. You've always had what I'm giving to them. That's what he says here, right? He says, said to him, son, you were always with me. All that is mine is yours. It was always yours. If you wanted a fattened calf, go slaughter one. Have some celebration with your friends. Jesus made it clear that all that is being offered to the undesirables, the sinners and tax collectors, is what they already had. It was already theirs. And the value that is found, that is inherent in the lost, doesn't diminish the value of every single person in this room who's already been found. Amen? But one thing we have to be careful of is that we never let our complacency or our lack of movement in Jesus because we're just sitting on our blessed assurance all day long. Never let that dim our view of how God is working in somebody else's life. Don't let it skew your view of what he's doing in others because the truth is, is the same thing that he's accomplishing in others is available to you as well. Amen? And then we'll end here. In verses uh, in Matthew six nineteen through twenty, it says, "Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where the moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal." 
The truth is, church, is that the harvest, the lost, the harvest, that's our real treasure. They are valuable, and every soul that is saved is credited to your account if you're involved in it. When you share with people, even if they rejected you, you planted that seed, I believe that's credited to your account. Our finances and our comfort here on earth, and the truth is in America, we've all got it pretty good. It's fleeting and temporary. It says don't store up treasures here on earth. The moth can come in. Thieves can break in and steal it. It's, 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 it's all temporal. It's not going to last. The treasure that we should be focused on is the people that you see every day at your workplace, at the gas station, at the grocery store, in carnival lines, right? These are the people that we should be caring about. We will realize true treasure if we start to see them as God sees them and recognize the value of the harvest. Even if that means you have to give up a little comfort here on earth. Even if that means that you have to look people in the eyes and interact with them. People that you never thought would, even if it makes you a little uncomfortable. Get over it. Somebody did it to you. You're probably weirder than anybody you're going to talk to. So just deal with it. Even if you have to throw a 50 in the urinal to make it go, and you have to recognize people's value, amen? So let's keep our eyes on what truly is valuable, and that's people. And I want to challenge you. Reaching people for the kingdom of God is not just the pastor's responsibility. Pastor Joseph and myself, we're not going to bring people into this church the way that if we all work together, they can bring them in to share the gospel with them. It's every single one of our responsibilities to do that. And I pray that you would just get a, a revelation of how valuable they really are because if you understood that, you would be willing to endure a little uncomfortableness to make sure that, that they're not lost forever, for eternity. Amen? Let's start to see people like Jesus did. Let's go ahead and uh, bow our heads.